Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? Email me at conversationswithdwyer and we can talk about it. Or actually email me about it. But whatever you're advertising, whether it be your product, your music, or just yourself, that ad will reach around the world and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. So please email me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com and let's get emailing about it and get some ads up here. All right? All right, let's listen to this episode. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast where I highlight or interview or talk to legendary musicians, established and -and up-and-coming musicians. It's a wide variety. And today I am speaking with Nadia Garofalo from Ganser. And speaking of which, that song that played us in is called Lucky, and that's from their album Just Look at the Sky, which is a goddamn great album. They're a Chicago band. And being a Chicagoan, I, uh, you know... I always take pride in having a Chicago band on the show, and especially Nadia. She's really great. This is a really great conversation. And if you like this conversation, uh, this is a two-part episode. Uh, The second part, part two, will live on my Patreon page. So if you want to hear more Nadia Garofalo, become a Patreon subscriber. You can also watch some of the video. or I videotaped, or I Zoomed it. There's no videotape. Uh, I zoomed our conversation, recorded it, so that also lives on the Patreon. You can, if you become a Patreon subscriber, you could watch that as well as a lot of the other interviews I've I've done. Uh, and if you're here because you're a fan of Ganser, please check out the past library. I've had a lot of great guests: uh, Danita Sparks from L7, Julia Kugel from uh, the Coat Hangers. Uh, the list is long. Just go look at my, or you can go to themattdwyer.com. And check out uh, that that can be a springboard to all things Matt Dwyer. Um, and in the show notes, there's a link. And speaking of the show notes, there's links to all things Ganser and the things Nadia and I talk about. You, uh, there's a link to their band camp, uh, to the Brave Space Alliance, which is the charity that they often uh, donate money from their band camp Fridays to, as well as her poetry and uh, the article she wrote about Spotify on this. uh, There's a link to that uh, because we talk about Spotify pretty intensely on this episode. And there's also a link to Musicians Union. So you can go and sign the petition to help artists get paid more by uh, Spotify. So um, because they pay 0.008 cents to the song. Pretty much, roughly, that's a, you know, I think it changes due to album or listens or whatever, but that's nothing, and uh, artists can't tour right now, so please, they should be, and Spotify has the money, they should be paying it. Anyway, Nadia and I go into that um, plenty in the episode, all links, so uh, I think that covers it for the show intro. Uh, They're great, check out their music, buy their music. I bought a shirt and music uh, because I love them so much. And uh, please enjoy this conversation with Nadia Garofalo. Once in a while, there's a band, 
and an individual where you just get extra excited and <laughs> <laughs> like I just love your music so much like it's it hits home for me oh my gosh well that is uh that is like the highest compliment I feel like <laughs> as an artist I, I can get and I and I know my bandmates are are so, like would feel similarly uh also <laughs> you know uh I'm from Chicago so there's also a bit of you know there's that hometown pride of where you're like, yeah, fucking Chicago band. (laughs) And you know, Chicago really, and and I get, I think I feel like I get kind of biased, but I really feel like Chicago has one of the best, um, at least for rock music. I feel like it's got one of the best scenes going on at the moment. Like it's just, I don't feel like any other city has like the kind of stuff that we're putting out here now. Um, Yeah. But that could just be me being biased because I'm a Chicago artist. I don't, <clears throat> I don't think, I feel like just creatively in general, Chicago has this, I, well, I want to say edge on other cities, but there's just, there's something like, I mean, I, I did theater there, but even beyond that, like the theater scene, the dance art, like there's so much and it's rich and vibrant. It is. And I, and I feel like it's not as competitive as some other cities. And I think that lack of it's competitive, but it's not competitive to the degree of like New York or LA where I feel like it gets like, if you don't succeed, your livelihood is at risk, you know, (laughs) in Chicago, I feel like it's a little bit more like, it's a little more friendly to artists, especially artists who maybe don't feel, feel like they want to be like, you know, suffering for their art, you know, like all the time. Yeah. It's, that's interesting. That makes me think of two things for one, like when I moved to LA, my perspective of what I was doing changed. Like it stopped becoming about, it stopped becoming fun and it stopped becoming, (laughs) and it stopped like it, it, you know, it becomes about the business. And when you're not a business minded person, you start going bananas. It's true. It's true. And it can be, uh, it can, yeah, it can be very, it can be hard. It can be hard to do that. And I feel like, um, I don't know. I don't think Chicago necessarily lacks that. I just feel like there is the option to be successful as an artist while not having to be so business oriented. Do you find, cause when I was doing things in Chicago, I found there was a very, an openness among different creative people where the, they would share like, Hey, what about, trying this or maybe changing this one little thing. And it was never, um, you know, for, in, for me being inarticulate right now, it was never dickish or <laughs> like it was all for the art. And, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I do feel like there is a little bit more of a, of an open, I don't know. There's more opportunity for experimentation because there are the stakes don't feel so high. I think. Like you're, you kind of are able to play, you're able to kind of be weird to experiment. And I feel like that's, you know, I, I used to be a little bit in, in the theater community. I'm not an actress, but I was, I did like sets and props, um, before I got into doing film. Um, and so the theater community, I feel like also has that there's a lot of openness for experimentation. Um, I feel like the storefront theater community in Chicago just has a lot, like you can just have a storefront theater company. (laughs) if you feel like it with you and your, your friends who graduated from theater school. And I saw it happen like a million times. Um, and I worked with some of them because I was like just starting as like a designer and trying to just like get opportunities to like, just try to get experience. And, and like, 
I don't know, people are willing, there's an exchange of skills here that I feel like it's, you know, if you don't have money, you can still get things done. And I think that our, our music videos are a testament to that because we have so many people and so many creative um, artists in our, in our sphere that have helped with those, like those music videos would have cost us thousands of dollars if, if it wasn't for like the tremendously talented group of people that are friends with us that wanted to just like play. Did you study film for like, did you go to film school or? No. Um, I went to the school of the art Institute of Chicago, which is where I met Alicia. Actually. Um, I studied architecture, uh, like mostly interior architecture and design. Um, and, through that I kind of went into like set design for stage and film and uh, I kind of went that way so I didn't I never I didn't really go to film school proper um honestly I didn't even consider working in the film industry until I got uh until I, like my final year of college when I was like oh that's a job <laughs> <laughs> Like I got on a big movie as a PA and I was like seeing these guys like run around with like fake foam bricks and shit. I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> I've, I've PA'd. That is um, hard. It is. It is okay. I remember I worked on a commercial and everybody rapped and they were like started cracking beers and I grabbed a beer and they're like, oh no, you're not done. <laughs> it's like, I was like, what? No. I just worked like 14 hours. Yeah, no, you got another like three. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was cleaning up the whole soundstage. It was in Chicago, oh. and in fact, it was. Were you at SNA? Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I used to do that. Like that was how I came up. I came up as a PA doing commercials um, in Chicago, and it like it it's a rough way to cut your teeth in the industry. Um, and I don't think that everybody needs to do it, but I think that if you do do it, you gain a real res- a real respect for everything else and everything that goes into like a film set. Um, but yeah, I had some 20 hour days, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think, like, I don't think I could do that these days. Like, I think I just, no. I think I'd cry. I literally would break I down and cry. I never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for like four years. Um, and now I'm beyond, I'm, I don't ever want to do it again. No, like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I would also bartend to, and I just, I'm like, I can't, I don't ever want to break up another bar fight in my life. <laughs> just like, no, I'm a, I'm an old man bar guy. I liked like, I, I love an old man bar. I used to go to the old town ale house a lot. And what neighborhood, uh, what neighborhood are you in? Um, I live in Pilsen now. Um, but for years I lived in, uh, like Ukrainian village. So I, my neighborhood bar was Archie's. I don't know if you've heard of, I do know Archie's I lived in Wicker park, but I was, it was so long ago that Wicker park was still dangerous. Like you could get, there was sex workers all over the, like right outside my place and, and, um, drug dealers. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, you know, everybody's got to make a buck, but, um, (laughs) But well, uh, I, 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 patr- I was a patron of the drug dealer on occasion back then. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, that's honestly, that's also insurance. They're like, no, he's my money. Don't fuck with him. Oh, good. I never <laughs> thought of it that way. You're, you have more street savvy than me. <laughs> but I never did. I mean, I didn't, I did it like twice. I, I, and then I quit drugs at 20, not pot, but the, the hard stuff. Good for you, man. It took me a little longer. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't working out for a lot of my friends. And I was like, this maybe mm-hmm. I maybe I don't follow this as well. It's rough. It's rough, and and you know I feel like I 
I have a lot, I've had a lot of people in my life who have gotten, who had had, especially back home, I'm from Massachusetts originally, and there's a huge opiate crisis, especially there in the small towns there. And I've had um, a lot of people in my life really like lose their lives and, and also just destroy their lives. Like whole families destroyed by opiates. Yeah. It's crazy. And, um, and I think I was always really fortunate that like, I just did, I just don't have that bug in me. Like I don't get addicted to that. That wasn't my vice. So, um, drugs have always been recreational for me. So I think like for me as a, as a more casual user of things, it's been easy for me to kind of come in and out of it. Like there've been times in my life where I maybe partied too hard when I was like younger, um, you know, 15. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was got it out early. (laughs) Yeah. I was like into the hallucinogens and having, you know, expanding my mind type of stuff, but like, I think that's great. I, I never really got in, got into those. I was always too afraid. I was like, Oh, what if it screws up my head? And I'm like, girl, your head's already screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're already on meds for that. But I was, I was into, I really liked the, um, the stimulants. I was very into stimulants. Um, the, so. Yeah. But Coke, Coke was a big, I mean, Coke was everywhere when I was younger and my brother was a dealer. So it was, it was oh, like, wow. it didn't, it didn't like, it was just there. So it didn't seem t- taboo or dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, there's times where it just, if you normalize things because that's how people survive, like you normalize the things around you. And I think that, uh, especially when you're younger to get, just to get through stuff to be yeah. like, Oh, this is fine. This is fine. It's not the cops won't show up any moment. <laughs> tear my life apart. Yeah. Coke is a, Coke is a nasty one. I don't know. Like I, I've done it and I, and I probably will still do it in the future. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Because I'm, because like I said to me, that's very, it's very casual, uh, in terms of like, it's sort of time and place and what I feel. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe if it comes up again, I'll be like, eh, nah, but, um, but it, it, people who use it, who use it a lot, I don't know. It, it makes, it gives me the, like the heebies, the heebie-jeebies a little bit. I don't like it. Yeah. It, it, it was nothing. It was never really, I would do it and plentiful, but I was just, it, it was never like enjoyable. And that was the other reason I was like, why am I do, doing this? It's like, yeah, you wake up the next day and you're just like, Oh, I hate everything. The, those hangovers are the worst. Like if, a, a bunch of booze and Coke that, and maybe like oh. red, red Bull hangovers. I'm too fucking old for that at this point. Can I swear on your podcast? Sorry. Oh, I didn't even ask. I already did. So, Oh, okay. So <laughs> it's so natural. I just don't even, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's thing. it gets, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I just feel like people need to take care of themselves. Uh, I read that your band started off as a, uh, a multifaceted, you want a multifaceted creative project is that was like sort of the part of, yeah. I don't think it ever stopped being that. Really. Uh, yeah, I, but was that like the impetus of right away? Like we wanted uh, not just cause you, the videos, it's a lot to it, a lot to it. Um, mm-hmm. well, Alicia and I, like we started, I'm sure you've read this. If you've read any, people ask the same questions about how the band originated. Um, but Alicia and I started it out of like, we were like a couple years out of art school working in our creative fields. Um, and we were just feeling very unfulfilled creatively because, uh, you know, we have a lot of, there's a lot of skills that you don't get to employ, um, in your jobs. And 
we were like, we just want to, we want to do some other creative stuff. We want to do something that's like going to, you know, and, and for me, like I had kind of been in, in bands on and off, like since high school, I've been involved in music projects here and there. Um, my joke is that like, I've tried to quit music like three times in my life and it just never sticks. But, um, you know, I just like, uh, and, and she had, she has a background of like playing instruments very well in in, like high school and, and beyond. And I think that we were both just like, I was sort of like, I, I was like, how about we just start a music project? It's cold. The winter sucks. You know, it was one of those like really oppressively horrible Chicago Januaries. And we were just like, how about, how about we just start something? We can just like, I, here's, here's some, I had like an Ableton program that I, that I had gotten been given by someone and, and we were just like, let's just pass some piles and ideas back and forth. Let's see. She had started, um, you know, really seriously picking up the bass, which was, um, which she's amazing at. And I, and I was like, let's just do, let's see what happens with this. And then thinking beyond that, like we could definitely like there's videos involved. Like we could do all this other stuff. There's visuals. She can employ her, her super, she's so talented as a graphic designer, being able to sort of employ that as well. Um, you know, I think, I think it just, I don't know when you're a creative person who has a lot of different skills and you get to sort of put them into one project, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of where we went with that. Did you have a, a idea of a sound or were you, was that something that you discovered along the way? I think we definitely discovered it along the way, um, especially considering, you know, more people came into the project, you know, like, like initially we had another friend of ours um, who came in and, and did guitar and drums for us. And then the sound was one way at that point. And then once Charlie and Brian came in and the band sort of like, was like a permanent, like, this is like, this is us, like, this is cancer. Um, the song, the sound kind of evolved from there with, with what they came and brought to the table. So, um, I think it took us some time as like, as the foursome that we are now to, to really develop like what we, what we were going to be doing together. But at this point, I feel like, I feel like we have, an ethos of what the sound is, but there's always room for experimentation and there's always room for play. And there's, and I think that that's, what's really great about it. Being able to like allow for weirdness, you know, which is, which I think has served us very well. I feel like when I listen to it, you can sense that there's a freedom and a creativity, like a pushing of it. If that's, boy, I'm not as articulate as I'd like to be today. (laughs) I mean, it's early for you, isn't it? It's like, what are you? You're like at ten. It's like it's early this morning. Uh, what was what were your high school bands like? Because I love high school, like high school band stories. Because <laughs> I think of the things I did in high school, and I'm like, boy, thank God the internet didn't exist then. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it sucks. Like, I wish there had been recordings because I felt like we actually had some. I I felt like it was pretty good for a high school band. Um. Well, I, we were going to put together by a music teacher. Um, and, uh, from there we sort of went off on our own and did our, and and ended up being like, it was me. I played bass. So I've, I've played bass since I was in high school, but I'm not, I'm like, I don't know. Alicia's much better at bass than me. That's why she's the bassist in cancer and I'm not. Um, so I, uh, I played bass and I sang a bit and then there was, um, another girl who named Ariel who sang 
also, and she had a tremendous voice, just like a very powerful voice. Um, she was, she was a great vocalist. And then there was, we had a guitarist and then my, my, um, high school boyfriend played drums and it was like very, it was very <laughs> much like we didn't really have any style. It was very, at the time, a lot of the high school bands were like playing like the emo screamo y stuff, but we, we really didn't, we did more of like an alternative weirdo kind of thing. Um, I, I would say alternative rock was kind of what you could put us in. We all, you know, it was very, I don't know. It was fun. It was really fun. And we played like youth, like, uh, I don't know where I grew up. There was, um, there was a lot of people who, who were organizing these, these places and these things for, for younger people to do. So there, they would set up like, like youth cafe, I think is what they called it, but it was like an open mic kind of thing or, or not even just open mics, just like, um, here's like a, 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 they'd set up shows for us basically. And it was in like galleries or, or like centers. I think one time I played at like a Elks Lodge, (laughs) but, um, and they set up like poetry readings and stuff, which I did some of that too. It was just, uh, it was just fun. And it would just be like, everybody load into my little like Dan, (laughs) You know, like, we're just going to throw everything into my little, like, Nissan Altima and, like, drive to the venue because I'm the only one who has a car. (laughs) (laughs) Drive 20 minutes to, like, the next next town and, like, load into this church room. And it was just, it was fun. It was very, it gave us something to do on a Saturday and a Sunday, like, and it was... um, I don't know, kept, kept some of us out of trouble a little, but like, <laughs> got that's some a, of us into trouble a little. That's a bit more advanced than most high school bands. I mean, you played, you were playing gigs where in my high school, it was just no one got out of the garage. And Well, I mean, you, they, they, it was set up. I mean, I was involved in a lot of these like community outreach programs that were part of it too. So like my, we were like uniquely positioned like I don't know the the arts in I'm from Berkshire County and the arts is the one thing that is pretty valued over there which I think is is good in a very small kind of like podunk Massachusetts area (laughs) it's also rare I mean it's like I mean it's a like I remember like they were always cutting in my high school they were always cutting like the money for theater but the fucking football team had plenty and i was just like fuck you <laughs> yeah no it was it's that happened in my high school too except the football team didn't have any money either. <laughs> <laughs> i was in a public school and it was not they didn't um academics was where they for the school i went to academics was like the most important thing so no one had any money but um but they did cut programs like i had to choose between doing orchestra or doing uh visual art classes and i went to visual arts classes because i was like well there's a future in that so such a dumb dumb just to back up to ganser is it uh, because just looking at did it move quickly for you guys like i feel like it's only Uh, how many years have you been together alicia and i started the band in 2014 so not that quickly oh okay Uh, for some oh i guess i got my numbers wrong 2015 2015 i think maybe was when it started to really become something um but I mean, it moved quickly in that, like, we are, I don't know, Alicia and I are professional people and we are determined and we kind of like, to say that Ganser is not business-minded is a fallacy. Like, we are very business-minded. Like, we, this is a business. It is an LLC now. Um, But it's, you know, we are very, 
we were like, okay, we, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. Like we're going to, we did it DIY, but DIY for us was very like business DIY. Like we are going to make it happen. Like we're not going to just like sit around and play and hope that someone discovers us. Like we're going to put ourselves out there. We're going to do the legwork. We're going to try like, because you know, if we're going to put money and, and time into this, like we want it to be successful. So, um, so I think that there's like, it, it, I think maybe it happened fast in that sense that we put ourselves out there, but not that fast. Honestly, I think that if we were maybe a different demographic of people, it might've gone a little faster for us, but being who we are, I think it, there was a lot of moments where we got sort of passed over or, um, not paid attention to or taken seriously as much because we were a band fronted by women, run by women. Um, and I think that that is unfortunately just the way of the industry. Um, I, I was going to say, cause it just seems absurd and I, I know I'm not the typical human being, but that, 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 that is still an issue or something that the industry thinks of when I feel like there's plenty of very successful, great bands fronted by women. So I'm like, what the, what the fuck is the problem? It's, I mean, I think it's just the precedent that's been set for years and years and years. And you get in these positions where there's these bands that are touring and, you know, a lot of the bands who are touring are primarily like white dudes and they're going to bring on their friends to tour with them. Like it's, it's a lot of like people lifting up other people in a way that's like, I think it's great to like, take another band that's a smaller band on tour to give, to help them out. But like when you're doing that, I think a lot of them are like, Oh, let's take these guys. Cause they're a good hang. Like let's hit, I think there's like moments of thought of like, do we want to bring this other, do we want to take a chance on a band that like maybe we're not buddies with, or do we want to take a chance on a band that's a different demographic? Like, do we want to bring girls or is it going to be a problem to bring girls? Like, do we want to deal with this? And I think, it, I think that's the place where it needs to be. There's this like, and sometimes it's not even as insidious on purpose as that. It's just something ingrained in people's heads that they need to deprogram. Like you need to undo the damage that's been done in, in, inside your own brain and inside your own heart in order to make these changes really happen. Because part of it, the problem is people's preconceived notions or like knee jerk reactions that they don't even really take the time to examine. Um, and it's also a situation of like, look at, uh, it's a little bit of laziness too, because I feel like people just aren't doing the research. They're not looking, they're not trying to find these bands that are out there who are different, who are not like four white dudes or five white dudes, <laughs> you know, and, and you, and it's, and it's in the algorithms on the streaming services. Those are like, just that, like those, those it continues to be that way because of those it's in the lineups of big festivals, major festivals, like see how many people of color or women are involved in these festivals. You know, it's like, and where are they placed in the festival lineups? Like where, you know, like, I don't know, like there've been, it's, you know, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but there've been times where like we show up to a show and we're either the headliner or the second you know, the set, the center band. And it's assumed that we're the opener. And it's just like, like the sound person will just be like, Oh, like you guys are the opener. Right. And I'm like, no, we're not, but thanks. Jesus like, there's, nothing, 
Well, there's nothing wrong with being an opener. First of all, it's just that we're not that like, that's not where we're, that's not where we, where we were. And to assume that that's who we are without even asking is part of that problem. And part of the thing that people need to start to like investigate within themselves. Like, why did I make that assumption? Why did I think that that was what was happening? Like, why didn't I ask? Why didn't I ask what this band's name was? You know, it's just, yeah. I mean, the, there is nothing wrong with being an opener, but there is the, that tends to be the newer band, the not, you know, the band that's still developing or the less one with less recognition. Right. And so to be like, Oh, I don't know. There's definitely something fucked up in that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a, it's like I said, it's something that people need to start to deprogram within themselves. Like start to examine why you felt that way. Why was that your initial assumption? For example, and maybe this is something I might get some flack about. There was a year, there were a couple of years where I just refused to read books by white male authors. And it wasn't because I don't like them. I love Dostoevsky. I'm not, you know, I do like white male authors, specifically Russian ones for some reason. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I do, I do. And I, but I was reading them for so long and for so much of my life that I just stopped for a second. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make an effort to, to seek out female artists, like female authors or like authors of color or other, there's just other, I want to, and it's more of a thing of like, sometimes you do need to make that. It's not like I was, and people are like, well, you shouldn't like, you know, hinder yourself like that. I'm like, it's not, I'm just trying to give a chance because the, the market is so saturated with in, in the arts Um, and really everywhere, but like in the arts and music, the market is so saturated. The algorithms are so saturated by one particular demographic that I think it's important. And it's, it's important for people to realize that and to then do that work to seek out these other people go on band camp, (laughs) look, look for other people, look for something else. And I think that once you do that, you do start to see more and more, uh, diversity in, in, in what you're listening to or what you're reading. And I think that that's the thing, like you just, it, it, sometimes if you're a late, if you're just sort of like going with it and you're just sort of taking what's given, you are going to get the majority of what's out there and what's out there. Um, according to like, what's, what gets pushed, I guess not what's out there, but like what gets pushed towards you. And I think, and I think that is overwhelmingly still, um, very much white, white male artists. Um, so it does, it takes some extra work to really like look into it. But once you do, I think you do start to see like, you know, how much more is out there and how much other people bring to the table. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I read and listen to music. I mean, there's obviously the pleasure and the distraction of it, of just like, but also cause I want to expand my brain and learn worlds. I don't know. And mm-hmm. like, that's what, like I like to read authors that are you know because it's like i know my fucking world why would i want to keep <laughs> it's like what's the point of that right and that's not to say that there isn't value in everybody's uh and, and everybody i feel like has well there's value in a lot of different perspectives but when you have been when you have been showed one shown one perspective or one specific sort demographic of perspectives for pretty much your entire life I think the, there's there's room to sort of be like okay I've heard let's let's see what other people have to say. Right. Like it's 
So it's not to devalue what like white male artists have to say. It's just like you, it, we should be leveling the playing field for that. Absolutely. It's, it's people don't have to seek it out. Um, so like you don't have to go so much outside of like what's, what's given to you in your like Spotify, whatever. Right. <laughs> how, who are some of the writers that you've, uh, that you've enjoyed? And I'm asking pretty much just for myself to learn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm always looking. I, yeah. I mean, I, um, I love, you know, I, I kind of rediscovered Patty Smith as an author. Oh my God. Her books are so great. She is so it like it, it reopened that, um, that love for her that I think I had, uh, before with her as a musician, but here, like reading her poetry, uh, and reading her books was just amazing. Uh, Natalia Ginsburg, which is a, she's a Jewish Italian author. So I identify with her in that way <laughs> as a Jewish Italian woman. <laughs> um, so her, her, her works are just great. Um, who else did I like from, see the thing with Patty, she kind of brought me back into like the, with poetry, I did sort of go back into like the, um, the beat poets, which are a lot of white dudes, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, all right, let's hold up. Let's, we'll come back to that. But like Louise Gluck is a great poet that I, that a friend, um, introduced me to. I read her stuff. Uh, Chris Krause has some really great books. She's awesome. Um, Summer of Hate was one that I, that I've been reading again. It, it took me a minute to get back into that one because I tried it a long time ago and then I had to pick it up again. Um, and then Joan Didion is one of my favorite authors. So um, I read a bunch of her stuff over the past couple of years. It's crazy to me that poetry used to be like best-selling books. And now it's like, it's baffling to me. I'm like, what the fuck happened? Not- I think it's another one of those things where it's just a very saturated situation poetry I think went in a similar way to music where um you know you don't see poets really releasing a lot of their own chapbooks anymore um I think poetry gets devalued because it's not a novel you know uh but and I think it's easy it's easy to sort of overlook it which is a shame because I think that there are so many brilliant poets out there like if you go to, I don't know I went to if you go to any any even like this I went to this youth um, youth poetry slam that happened. Like one of my friends is a teacher in some of the Southside schools and, and she, she had told, she had invited me along with her and some of the poetry that these kids are, are putting out is just amazing. And as someone who like, I sort of started my love for poetry in high school, I was like, um, part of like a poetry club in high school. And that really, I don't know, saved my life in a lot of ways. It allowed me to help it, it allowed, it, it helped me sort through the, and still continues to help me sort through some of the things going on in my head or in my life that I need, I need to kind of poetry through it a bit, <laughs> you know, like even if it doesn't become like a poem, I do sort of just need to like stream of conscious, write something out. And then I can kind of come back and edit it later if I really want to put it up somewhere. But um, yeah. And I, I just think, I think that that's sort of like, it's a shame that that's happened, but, and I hope that, I hope that someday, um, people start to see poetry in the same way that they see novels and liter in other literature, because it is so valuable and it is so, um, it might not be necessarily as long or as, <laughs> but it's, it's just the collections of thoughts. It, it's such a, it can be such a con- condensed version of, 
a beautiful connection that you can read in like a two page poem. Right. That you, and it can be what you can read in a two page poem. I think you can also, it, you can get the same thing that you can get out of like a full novel. It's like, and that's the beauty of poetry. And I, and I think that that's great and, and it shouldn't be devalued in the way that it is. Do you, when you approach lyrics, is there a, is there, is there a difference or is it a similar way you approach lyrics and poetry or? Well, it's similar in that it usually starts with just me writing stream of consciousness. Um, but the difference with the lyrics is it's there to serve the song a lot of the time. Um, it's also, it also becomes, it, it, with the, with the lyrics, it opens, it's opened up to collaboration. Um, oftentimes I'll be collaborating with my bandmates on the lyrics. So I might bring a couple things. I might bring like some stanzas into a lyric document because we do everything on like Google Docs. <laughs> and then, um, like Alicia and I'll sit down and be like, okay, well, what, what's going to serve the song? Like, how do we need to purse through it? And, and it, it has sort of a different, uh, there's a different goal in mind there. And I think with poetry for me, it's very private and very much, um, it's very much me on my own sorting through things and making decisions. Sometimes like if something needs to be published, sometimes I'll like ask a friend, like I've um, like friends who are like poetry teachers and, and things like that, who I'll, I'll sometimes ask like, Hey, what do you think about this for submission or, you know, but, but for the most part, it's, it's something that I do with myself for myself. Um, and there isn't much of a goal to serve anything outside of that. Um, you know, so the things I put up are very much like, uh, a fraction of what I've written, but it's the fraction that I feel like I'm, I'm willing to share. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, to me, they're just different. Um, I think they start, they start similarly, but they, they do become, they, they're, they're serving different purposes in my life. So. Uh, to go back to the Spotify thing, cause I read that piece you sent me and I, and I, someone else told me this, but I didn't know the full details of that. Spotify contacted artists and told which I'm just, it's just mind blowing. Like I've told friends about this and they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like for, for, for artists to make money, they want you to create more contact con- content, which is really just them saying, make us more money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> When I got these emails, I was just like, this is the most tone deaf shit I've ever read. Like, are you, or, and then the other email that was sort of like, make some products, make more products to sell on your, like, you know, do this, do that. And it's like, if sure, if you, if you want to do that, great. If you want to make like a fucking your band hot sauce, do it. Like, that's great. Whatever, (laughs) you know? And people have, and I think they've been successful with that. Great. I think Carl Blau is doing hot sauce. I feel yeah. Like. yeah. I mean, I've seen, yeah, but people, I'm like, dude, fine, fine. But for me, that's not something, that's something, that's a, that's something that an artist should choose to do on their own or have an idea to do on their own or with like a, I don't know, something in their city or whatever. But for like a multi-million dollar tech company to <laughs> And then also not to give you the option of linking your website with your merch on it anywhere on their service. It just like 
for them to sort of send out these emails in this guise of like, we want to help you help yourself. It's like, how about you help me by paying me more than a fraction of a cent for like work I've done. Like, and that's like the, and, and that's the issue with the entire music industry is that individual artists and songs and streams are totally devalued. And it started with the way people were able to get music for free and the failure of the music industry to like meet that situation in a way that made sense for the artists. Um, it's just, to me, it was just so gross and I just couldn't believe it. It's just like, we're in the middle of this pandemic. A lot of us are like losing jobs. A lot of us are trying to hold on to jobs. It's making things harder. Some of us have to work from home and that's even harder, like with families and God knows what else we have to deal with. And you're telling us to just like, we'll just keep making things. It's just make things more. It's like, no, that's not, it wasn't acceptable for, for them to send that. And I wish they had just said nothing. Where they didn't have anything helpful. How is this situation similar for labels? Because do labels not make any? Like that's what confuses me. Because it seems like the labels would be fucking pissed off about this as well. I think everybody's a little pissed off about it. Um, the labels make. I mean, a stream. The 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 price per stream that you get from Spotify, like that, it'll either go to the artist or the label, depending on who owns the music or who like what the deal is. So the the labels get the same stuff. Like the the thing about it is. I don't know. Like, and I'm not sure about like the larger labels or what happens with that. I can only sort of like speak from the, from the, you know, level I'm at with, with like felt, you know, and they don't get any more than we get, but they put money into, into things like, you know, ads for you. So, you know, I don't know. It's part of, it becomes, I think with the labels and I think with a lot of people, they, they view Spotify less as like a, a means for, income and more as a means for, um, for promotion. And I think that that's just the difference in the way it's viewed by the artists versus the way it's viewed by labels. So like you, it's part of, it becomes part of your promotional package. Like that's money that they spend to promote your album. Yeah. I, I don't know if it would be possible to even mount, but I'm like, why is there not like some kind of protest? Cause every musician I know, there, I mean, like a boycott or what, what is there, happening? So it's the union of musicians and allied workers. Um, and they actually have a thing. It's, they have like a Spotify. If you go to their website, there's a petition you can, you can sign for, um, to like get Spotify to pay like one cent per stream versus the fraction of a cent they do now. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but at least it's something and, and it's an organization. I think everybody who is a musician or allied worker should, should join union of musicians and allied workers. Like you just sign up, you get newsletters. Um, yeah, they have a, they have an, like an Instagram as well. And then that way you can at least know when petitions are going out. Like there's a, they also did a petition to try and get, like they helped out with like the, you know, like Neva, which is trying to get um, more, funding for like venues and, and things like that and smaller businesses that support music. And, and, um, and I think this is all just super important because we need to organize and I don't know, like nothing's going to change in the industry. And the problem is you can't boycott things like Spotify because then it cuts off a lot of people from your music, like especially smaller artists. Um, 
you can't afford to like maybe someone like Taylor Swift can afford to not be on Spotify, but we can't, you know? Yeah. It's just not, it's not, it's not feasible and it's not right to ask smaller artists to do that at this point. Yeah. One musician I spoke with said that she's, she said she doesn't blame, she doesn't blame the consumer. She blames the companies. Yeah. I mean, the companies have set the tone, um, but part of like what I said in, in the zine that you read, um, is people do need to start to evaluate what their, um, what their value of music is in their life and understand that like, it's great. I love, you know, I, I'm a consumer with Spotify. I do like to listen and find music and have it so accessible and not have to have like so much stuff on my computer or my devices. It's nice. It's like, it's nice and it's convenient. Um, but while you're listening to things on Spotify and finding artists that you enjoy, remember that that artist is not getting any money for what you're enjoying through Spotify and know that you can go to places like Bandcamp to like actually give some tangible support to those artists. And I think that that's just something that the industry needs to start to be better uh, until something is changed with, with streaming service. I think the industry needs to start to be better at telling consumers like, this is something that if you want to support these artists and you want to help them have a sustainable art practice making music, this is how you can help facilitate that. Yeah. Like you, like there are this tangible support that needs to happen, especially during this time when none of us can make any money on the road. So. Yeah. I was, I mean, when Spotify gave 300 million to Joe Rogan, I was like, so, and you can't pay fucking musicians. You can't like you motherfuckers. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, it's like, I mean, that says volumes to me. Yeah. It, they just, it's devalued. It's de it's just devalued in general with the music industry and understanding that like Spotify is a tech company. They're not a music service, even though they are a music service. They're not like it's, it's a tech company where a product that gets people to use their company so that they can gain revenue from ads. Like it's just, it, you, like they don't care about the music. They don't care about the people and for them to, and I think that was another thing that I found very insulting about the emails they sent out when I'm like, please do not pretend to care about the artists. You just, they, they see artists as being like a renewable resource that can just, that will just, if one band fails, another band will pop up in its place and we're going to always have music to put out there. We're always going to have this, you know, this renewable resource to, to like help our, um, our tech company, like move, especially, and also with podcasts now too, but it's just like, I don't know. It, yeah. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable and it's not going to, and it's not going to be. Maybe and you can start every album you put out with a commercial for Heinz ketchup. Just, I'm just throwing <laughs> out an idea. <laughs> Come up with um, a catchy jingle and put that on every album. <laughs> there are all the streaming platforms bullshit. Is there anything that's one that's. Any? Bandcamp. Not. Yeah. You can see Bandcamp. Um, I, I always buy stuff on my, I can't. I, I, you know, I, because I want to support, like that's important. To, and my podcast is all musicians now. And that's, I've, so I, you know, I would feel horrible. <laughs> like, right. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's not, like I said, it's not right now. I don't think there is 
there is no, like, it doesn't matter if you do Apple music, doesn't matter if you do Spotify or whatever. Like, it's just, it's all kind of the same. And it's not really about, um, trying to seek out like a better solution for, for streaming right now, because I don't feel like that's going to help anyone necessarily. Um, I think it's more just understanding the way things are right now and understanding that like to support artists, like buy their music on Bandcamp. Don't buy it on, on Apple music. You don't get, you don't get enough money back towards the artist that way. Um, what's the percentage of Bandcamp? Somebody told me 90, like, which was, I, uh, it depends. It depends if it's a full album or a song. Um, but it is, they don't take much. I think they take like their, yeah, their, their percentage that they take out and even on, and especially on Bandcamp Fridays, now they're not taking anything. So that's great. I mean, I don't know who, started that company but that's fantastic that someone they're great yeah i mean that's that's the model that's the model for how to do it you know i mean for a sustainable music industry i feel like that's how it's got to be um but yeah i mean i don't i don't think people should feel bad about listening to music on spotify i do it i just think it's a it's important for them to like my beef is not with the people listening my beef is with the company that's that's perpetuating a a like really shitty, I don't know, a really shitty payback model. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think, I think people just need to understand that like listening to music on Spotify is not supporting artists. Every time you hit the app on your phone, do you go fuckers? (laughs) (laughs) The thing is I, I, I don't necessarily as a consumer because it is so convenient. It's like, I think it's just knowing like, this is not like I have to, I even have to remind myself, like if there's something I'm really liking, if I start to like listen to an album over and over again on Spotify, I'm like, I need to, I need to buy, I need to buy this album. That's what I do as well. Or I need to buy a t-shirt, you know, like it's just, it's just knowing it's like, don't, don't feel guilty about like using technology that's there for, for ease of use, but just understand that like, you know, be aware of how the industry is and, and what the reality is for musicians. Yeah. I mean, I listen to so much. I listen to like every, like I have, as uh, someone recently called it music fluidity. <laughs> it's like I have no genre. And, uh, and a lot of the stuff I listen to is old and it's like, I couldn't afford to buy all that stuff. And no. I think a guy who died in the forties probably isn't going to miss the money. <laughs> but, no. Yeah. But like, if like, like you said, like I was catching myself listening to to Ganser a lot. And I was like, all right, time to go buy some shit. <laughs> so I did. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, but that's it. I mean, honestly, and also some people like don't have the means like to buy stuff. And that's, that is what it is. You know, like it's a privilege to be able to have like income disposable enough to spend on, on uh, like, you know, merch and, and music. And, you know, I just wish the problem with that, like the only problem with that is the way the, like if someone doesn't have money, the money to spend on like a Spotify membership. And so they have to be listening to ads. More of that ad revenue money needs to go back to the artists. That's like, great, that's the I didn't know that was a thing with Spotify that they also, you could listen to ads on there. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you don't pay for it, it's there's ad, like they have ads. Oh, know? that should all go. Yeah. That's my opinion. Well, I, a lot more of it, more of the revenue should go to the artists. Can yeah. you just listen to the ads? I really want that app. 
I bet they have it ads only. It's probably a podcast. Uh, Brave, I want to talk to you about the Brave Space Alliance because I feel like that's important and that's something I definitely want to get in. Yeah. They're a great local organization here in Chicago that supports the um, the trans community, especially uh, in it's a lot of like I, I think they do a lot of South Side outreach as well, which is which is great. I mean, it, you know, trans and queer community, especially in in uh, less wealthy neighborhoods, need support, and they offer so many great services and so many great um, resources for that community uh, because you know, trans lives matter. And it's incredible how, how they people, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be a trans person. It's dangerous to be a queer person. You know, it's just, I think that it, having a company or having a company, having an organization like that, that does so much good work, and it just, it felt very good for, for me and for us to be able to like put uh, some money towards that and be able to like, um, be able to donate and help them out. Uh, and I, and I continue to donate to them. And I think that it's just, especially for like, as a local Chicago organization, I think it, it's one of the ones that I think is just doing tremendous work. Yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, I have trans friends and it's just amazing how, just the world doesn't how many people just don't understand i just yeah uh for whatever fucked up reason um trans people tend to have very short lifespans um especially like in the in the black trans community it, it tends to be very you know like we have i mean I feel like i i read reports on on black trans people being attacked or or being killed in a, in a level that is just unacceptable. Like one is too many, you know, it's just, yeah. it, it's crazy. And, and I think it, part of it is, um, misogyny that's just inherent in our society. And, and part of it is, uh, just a lack of resources. And yeah. I, and I think, and I think that part, like being able to help, help out an organization that is, that is like actively doing something for them. And you it's know. it's hard. Um, and the, my friend was telling me this that she was like, I couldn't find work. I could no. not find a job. Like no one would hire me. And it's just it's screwed up. It's so screwed up. And yeah, it's it's a it's it's sad to think about all of the ways in which we are still as a society um, really failing so many people. Like in, especially people on the margins. It's just not not acceptable it's (laughs) not good it's just you know it yeah none of no one should be denied work because of who they are um no one should be attacked because of who who they are to to wrap up and actually when we're done i just want to uh talk to you for one second when we're done if that's okay absolutely um it's about books so <laughs> down so down uh, but if uh, i will put everything in the show notes that we've discussed uh and links but is there anything possibly that uh i could have that we left out that you would like to make sure you mention um i think i would just want to mention like um another place that we donated during Bandcamp. uh 
Band Camp, Camp Fridays is um, like the community bond and most cities have their own community bond. Um, so just that's something to to try to figure out um, if people can donate to those, those things. Um, I think those are important. Uh, and I think... I don't know. Bandcamp Fridays is another thing. Just like, hey, like reminding people, like these are still happening. They renewed them. Um, look out for them because it's a great opportunity to really like uh, not only support artists in a in a more direct way, but also um, also like like I said, a lot of us are are finding organizations to to pass those don't pass that income along to um, when we can. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Dwyer. As I said, if you want to hear more of this talk, go to my Patreon and subscribe, and you could watch the watch or listen to part two of this conversation with Nadia Garofalo from Ganser. The link is in the show notes. Thank you very much.